and welcome to another episode of Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What? This week, Macintosh and Mod confront the biggest anomaly in the Bond universe and need some Bond therapy to determine their feelings. Is this a good movie? Is George Lazenby a good Bond? Are we overthinking our impressions of this movie? Find out during our review of 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. everybody, this is David, a.k.a. Macintosh. And I'm Diana, a.k.a. Mod. And welcome back to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the show where we make each other watch movies we haven't seen before. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing with James Bond with this week, a very interesting entry into the canon. Yes, it's on Her Majesty's Secret Service. James Bond woos a mob boss's daughter and goes undercover to uncover the true reason for Blofeld's allergy research in the Swiss Alps that involves beautiful women from around the world. The budget, $7 million, and the total box office, a pretty good drop-off at $82 million. For a Bond film, or at least compared to the previous Bond films, it's not a lot of money, but at the same time, it's a huge return for a movie. It's still a good box office return. It's not like it was a failure. Mm-hmm. It's just not triple digit blockbuster status yeah. that the previous films had seen. Well, they also gave him a smaller budget. Okay. A very complicated emotions about this movie. There are so many different aspects that it's it's hard for me to get one clear thought about this movie. I believe that if you are a fan of James Bond. Uh-huh. That there is an axis that this movie is on. Correct. It's, it's it's not it's not a normal good or bad. You have to put it on an X Y scale. Yes, I was just thinking about the X Y quadrant with a, with a quadrant of is this a good Bond movie or yeah. not, and is George Lazenby a good Bond or not? Yeah, and that's really hard to qualify because we only have one offering. Not to mention, I have opinions about certain things where I feel like it would fit in each of those quadrants. Agreed. My compl- my feelings at certain points are just like, oh, well, this is... I was like, well, this seems like it's just bad and he's bad. Okay, oh, no, so- he actually seems kind of good here. I so- just... It's so weird. So I think we're going to have to talk about this movie. Like, we can't do overall thoughts yet. I think we have to do, like, go through our criteria and talk about each aspect. And then we have to come to a final conclusion. We have to figure, we have, yeah, we, Which have, is, we have to talk through this. This is Bond therapy. Hello. <laughs> welcome. Yeah. Because I think we also have to talk about how we, how it shapes the rest of the franchise. Well, let me give some context as well, because I think there's a universe in which this never happens. Okay. On Her Majesty's Secret Service was supposed to be the follow-up to Goldfinger. Okay. However, the issue with Thunderball came to loggerheads in 1964. Yeah, so they just kind of had to deal with that. They had to make that movie. There was no way around that. So they deal with Thunderball and get it out of the way. Mm -hmm. The next movie then was slated to be OHMSS. Mm -hmm. But the problem was, was that when they intended to film it, the weather was incredibly terrible. There was no snow. It was unseasonably warm in Mm -hmm. the Alps. And so there was no way to film any of the skiing sequences or mm-hmm. snow sequences that they needed to pull off. Yeah, they needed to be able to get hit that climate. And so because of that and not knowing how to arrange the locations, mm-hmm. they saw you only live twice, knew it was a single location where they could take care of everything. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, we're going to do that one instead. Okay. 
So there's a really good chance here mm-hmm. that Sean Connery should have been in this movie. Well, upon seeing this film, Sean Connery's response was that I would have liked to have made that type of Bond film. If this was the follow-up to Goldfinger, it would have been legendary. It would have been a great fall. You know, okay, this would have been, I don't know if we, sorry, too many thoughts in my brain. I'm processing Bond therapy. <laughs> this would have been a better follow-up to Thunderball. True. Because Goldfinger's so high, you need you need a, a palate cleanser. And Thunderball, and Thunderball, had it been- It had, needed some punch up and it needed some speed up. That was our problem with that movie. But had it had that, yes. it would have been a tight- just good yes. action Bond mm-hmm. movie. And then this movie as number as number five. Yeah. That and have it cool. be his last send off. Well, see, that would have made so much sense because then, okay, his wife dies. And then, okay, we're just going to kill him too so he can go be super mega awesome spy. Well, they well, still could have kept that for You Only Live Twice. Okay. But... And just the reasons behind it would have been different. So that, that would have been a great way to like keep going now there's another twist here which is that they considered completely scrapping this casting roger moore and making the man with the golden gun i knew about the roger moore piece i i read a little bit little bit of the imdb trivia right and the reason they didn't do that they were like almost committed was because of the war in cambodia that film set primarily out near the south china sea and because of vietnam and cambodia and what was going on down there they had to scrap that idea. Hmm. And and in the interim, Moore signed on to another series of The Saint. Oh, yeah. So but he wasn't really available. He was initially. And then they were like, oh, we can't do it right now. Yeah. And then he was like, nah, I can't delay. I need to go back to it this show. It just didn't work out. That was his moneymaker. Like, yeah. up until Bond, that was how he lived. <laughs> no, I get that. So there's so many what ifs around this movie. Yeah. Because this story uh-huh. is top notch. Okay. I love this story. Okay, I don't love that it's allergies. That part is dumb. I like that it's brainwashing. Correct. That is totally great villain fodder. Here's what it is, is that it's 1969, Mm -hmm. and there's a little bit of camp that they've put into this, into the acting and style, which if you did this movie today... If you stripped that away and said it was for allergy relief, but that was just sort of this, the whole point being that you play that as normal and not campy. All right. So we'll start with the writing and the story. Okay. Because now we've, we've got this big thing looming over there. And as we go through bond therapy, now we can get into the movie itself. Okay. We, we both love the idea of, and the plot of this movie. Correct. It is good. It's a good plot and it's a great device to grow bond. True. The only thing is, if they stick with this, I think they have to change the entire tone of the series going forward. Um, it has to slowly morph into something akin to what we're doing with Daniel Craig. Do you know what this is? What? This is Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah, only n- not done quite as well. Okay, no, no, no. But for Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban is the worst adaptation of a book. However, that movie was a tonal... And style shift for the entire franchise that moved him into the phase that they needed to go in order to finish. That analogy is half correct. Because this is the most faithful adaptation of a Bond novel ever done. I I do get that. But in the same way, this movie is a tonal shift to move the franchise in a direction that it needs to go. At some point, 
it can't just be Bond jet-setting around Correct. for no good reason. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, he loses his first true love in Casino Royale, mm-hmm. but then but something has to happen after that point to propel him in some At direction. At a certain point, you don't care. Oh, there's a villain. He kills him. There's a woman he sleeps with. He gets a gadget. That gets boring after a while. There has to be character change. And stakes. Correct. So, okay. Continue. But, but we shall say, thank God for Richard Maybaum. Because after the travesty that was Roald Dahl's script, yeah. for You Only Live Twice, he, came back this, th- he comes back and it's like, ah, oh, this feels right again. Yes, the writing is definitely considerably better and less uh, offensive. Oh, far less. I mean, there's still some not great things, but it's not as offensive. Also, it's entirely set in Europe, so it's True, a little so it's, hard for a- it's a little harder for them to be offensive when they're going around the Swiss Alps. Yeah, it's still possible. <laughs> we can still do it. <laughs> well, with the ladies, of course. Of course. The only thing, and okay, this is another therapy moment mm-hmm. that we've got to get through here. In the book, Bond has plastic surgery. If we did this today, that would have been done. No questions asked. Uh We would have explained away the change using that device Mm -hmm. because it's such an easy device. Blofeld's on to him. He's got to not be able to be tracked. Okay, we're changing his face. Mm -hmm. Now he looks completely different. Yep. And instead, they didn't think the audience would buy it. That's fair. Back then, plastic surgery was... uh, It wasn't as... Well, no. Fair, but here's the thing, is that the way they chose to address it in Mm -hmm. this movie, and maybe it worked in 1969, Mm -hmm. but it bothers me because their mode of addressing it was in-jokes. I'm fine with that. I liked that. Really? I like the jokes. I like the whole, this never happened to the other guy. That's funny to me. That's a wink and a nod to the audience. Hey, this is the first time they've changed Bond. That's funny. I feel like this is two different movies trying to happen at the same time because of those decisions. That's why it bothers me just a little bit is because I want this movie to trend towards the darker ending it has. But if it's going to trend in that darker direction, Mm -hmm. I just wish they'd have gone for it. I don't know. It just it's they did not know how to handle this. They didn't. And I, there's a couple of problems. With the script or with other things? Some of it is the script, but it comes from a production standpoint. So let's start with what's your problems with the script while we're talking about writing. I feel like they wanted to have sexy, you know, great agent, the same bond they had, but they decided, oh, we want to add this other element to him of humor Yes. I mean, they put a lot more humor in this movie than any of the other ones. They did. They threw a lot more into it. They wanted to add that element, and I don't think they knew how to reconcile that with their previous Bond. And then there's a whole slew of things out of that Mm -hmm. in casting, but we'll have to wait till we get there to talk about that. Yeah. My issue with production, well, I feel like that always stems from the production, is that I think that they really felt that they were going to get sean connery to come back and when that didn't happen they still have all the same players except for their main dude their main dude's not here anymore they have a new dude who is brand fucking new never done anything before and they did not know how to communicate any of this to an audience much less to themselves 
That's what I feel is going on. Salty broccoli dropped the ball. Salty broccoli. Actually, not even salty. It's mostly broccoli at this point. I think they went into this project expecting it all to fail. Yeah, it's possible. Because, like, we don't have Sean anymore. What are we going to do? There's nothing. Like, we're just screwed no matter what we do. Well, maybe. Because the script is great. I don't think they did. Even with its problems, it's great. I don't think they did. I think maybe Albert Broccoli did. But I think the team making this movie was totally confident about it. Let's talk about our director. Okay. So our director is Peter Hunt. Hunt. Okay. Peter Hunt was the editor of all five previous Bond films. Okay. He also desperately wanted to direct You Only Live Twice. And they turned him down and he walked off Mm -hmm. the productions. Okay. Went on a trip, wound up in Tokyo at the same time that they were filming. Okay. And they asked him to come on as a second unit director. Okay. So I'm going to guarantee you mm-hmm. that all of that stuff in the volcano uh-huh. was him. Based on that. what we see from this movie and that. his editing style, all of that stuff, all of that action sequence stuff mm-hmm. is all him. They were incredibly impressed with his work on You Only mm-hmm. Live Twice. And I guarantee you the only reason that movie got saved was because of his work. That script was nothing was better. Trash. And was trash. they had a, a new guy to the franchise who, I mean rightfully was just his whole thing was i'm gonna let the script speak for itself which is a garbage script so peter hunt in that editing room with the second unit helped tighten it up enough to make it a watchable movie because like we said it's ridiculous and and it's and it leaves a really awful taste in your mouth but it is watchable it, it is and to be fair a new director for a new bond is a good choice. That's a good choice with a well-established, trustworthy writer. Yeah. They had they had their golden boy on the writing. So they knew that wasn't going to be a problem. We got a new guy. We got a new guy being Bond. Let's get a new director who is very well-versed in this franchise, who understands what has to be accomplished so that they can create a relationship. And Hunt said, I want this to be my movie. I want this to look like my own movie. It's it not going to be like any other Bond movie. It looks and it's completely not. different. I, I can tell you now, without going into any details, the Roger Moore movies don't look like this. Mm-hmm. You know they don't look like the Pierce Brosnan movies. Nobody made a Bond movie that looked or felt like this one ever again. I'm really excited about Danny Boyle doing Bond 25. Just going to put that out there. If Danny Boyle I'm fucking excited. Well, and if Danny Boyle makes a movie like this, mm-hmm. I mean, with that kind of attitude to it, mm-hmm. a story like this, yeah. using elements from it for Bond 25 mm-hmm. would be perfect. Okay, well the direction is good. It is. It's super packed with action. Yes. Especially for what was the longest Bond movie until Casino Royale. And at times it drags a little bit. A little bit. One of the things I noticed immediately, like the very first scene, the fight sequences are a thousand times better. Oh, God. And they're filmed. The style is dated with how they're filmed. But they're good. He over, they're still great. He overcranks the camera. Yes. And he fast cuts like nobody's business. I mean, there are action sequences where you're literally missing half the parts mm-hmm. because he's just like he's, hack slash hack slash hack slash. He, he sped up the film too much in points and you can feel it. But it's still good. Exactly. And suspenseful. I'll also say the ski sequences caught us off guard. A little, yes. Just because they kept cutting to rear projection of yeah. the main actors. And it just caught us. Like, we're like, ah, uh, this... I'm, I, every time they did it, it took me out. The rest of it, though, is fucking incredible. It's awesome. And we'll talk about that when we get to yeah. trivia mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that, how they did all of that. 
but all of the action sequences, which half of this movie is action, which is perfect balance. True. And honestly, those types of fight sequences were missing from the Sean Connerys. Yes. In my opinion. From Russia with Love is the only one that I feel like we really had that. Well, Goldfinger at the end Dude, has but it. From Russia with Love is not a fighting movie. No, it's not. It's really not. It's It's more of a psychological game. The fight, which I like, the, the final fight, yes, is has been this buildup of tension, Correct. and it's a really good payoff. Well, and that buildup of tension all takes place in a very confined train car, yeah, which is cool. That's great. It's a, that's a different thing. But also, all but, of the Connery movies, in a lot of ways, are more heist movies than action movies. I like that this Bond kicks some ass. He does. He kicked. Ass. And almost all of that had to do with Peter Hunt. Well, and that's that was always my big praise for Daniel Craig. When I see that first movie, I was like, this is the Bond that'll fucking kill you. Yep. Never felt that way with Pierce Brosnan. That's how I feel here with this one. I was like, Sean Connery, yeah, he'll shoot you. But can he kill you with his bare hands? I never got that from him. I don't I don't think so. I get that here. Though we see it. We see it. But I believe it. And speaking of that badass Bond, mm-hmm. this is... The next phase in our bond therapy, George Lazenby. Yeah. To kick off our casting. I mean, he is the biggest thing to talk about in this whole movie. So there's a little bit of who would have been better. We won't play as much of the game. Timothy Dalton was apparently offered this role at one point. He was 22 at the time. He was too young and he didn't want to do it. He was like, I don't have enough experience to carry this off. Also, Adam West got offered this role. I could see that. He turned it down. Because of the whole British connection. Fair. Said, shouldn't be an American. Agreed. I don't want an American to play James Bond. He would have been a fun Felix Leiter. But isn't Lazenby from Australia? Yes, he is. <laughs> he is the only Bond. Pierce Brosnan's from Ireland. But he was, but he was in the UK. UK really early in his life. Yeah. The only Bond never to be born and raised in Britain is George Lazenby. No experience. Yeah, this is his first film, right? Cast him from an ice cream commercial. He apparently went to the audition. He had a Rolex watch. He picked up a suit from Savile Row that Connery had ordered but never picked up. And he went in and bluffed his way through the meeting. Oh, he also got his hair cut. Oh, he got his hair cut. And Broccoli was in the barbershop when he got his hair cut. To look like Connery. I love that story. And he I'm walks, sorry, that's just great. And then he walks into the room, talks about all his acting credits. Yeah. They're just lapping it up. And then he's like, okay, I just lied about all of that. And they were like, you got balls, kid. And then that wasn't when they cast him. Mm-hmm. So Man the guy just... playing Grunter in this movie yeah. was also the stunt coordinator. Mm-hmm. They had a stunt sequence. Mm-hmm. He was working with Lazenby in the auditions. So they made him do a screen test, right? Well, they, he was shortlisted after the meeting. Okay. They There were other actors. I looked at all of them. They were kind of no names. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were looking at unknowns for this yeah. role, period. Which makes sense. There's no way you're going to match Sean Connery at this point. Uh-huh. So you might as well try something new Let's and go fresh. Go the complete other direction. And see what we can find. Sure. In that fight sequence that they, they tested him with, mm-hmm. he broke the dude's nose. <laughs> Punched him square in the face and broke his nose. Mm -hmm. And Salty Broccoli looked at each other and went, the aggression is there. The charm is there. This guy could do it. And they cast him. I mean, let's, okay, first we have to talk about him in the role. Yeah. Before we get into all of the fucking drama. Yeah. There are times when I just think, you would have been amazing if Mm -hmm. you'd have stuck around. Yeah. No, I 100% agree. And I think he would have. 
I think after he had done this, if he decided he could stick to it, he would have grown exponentially leaps and bounds, just mm-hmm. like Connery grew leaps and bounds yeah. after Dr. No. It's got that same Dr. No vibe. The yeah. story's 10 times better. The directing's 10 times better. But him as Bond feels like Connery and Dr. No. Not quite sure of how to feel this role out, but at times it's pitch perfect. Correct. Between the Baccarat scenes, a lot of the scenes with him and Tracy are actually really good. The scenes with him and Tracy are great. Although that might have something more to say about Diana Rigg than Diana anything. Diana Rigg is awesome, so that's... that's <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that in a moment. Actually, the scenes where I thought he really shined... I mean, one, he's got the comedic chops. He's got timing. He's got that timing. And he's not classically handsome. He does not look like a Ken doll, even though he has Ken doll hair. But you get that whole, like, I'm a big deal. Like, he kind of gives you this little grin that's like... I'm hot shit. I know it. The scenes where I think he shines the best is when he's with all the women. Oh, in the in the harem scenes yeah, the and harem all that scenes, stuff. And he's playing Hilly, and I'm just like, he's hilarious. He's got this costume on that is re- absurd. The hat and the glasses, like this is absurd. But he plays it like I know this is stupid, but I'm gonna go with this, and it's great. Now it's interesting that you bought that. Yeah, he was overdubbed for that whole portion of the movie. Okay. By George Baker, the person playing the actual Hilly that he meets. Oh, that's funny. And George Baker Mm -hmm. was initially offered Bond for this movie. Oh, wow. It's a real weird flip around. He would have been bad. I'm just going to say that. He was a little... Um, And he knew that he didn't take the role. But he was like, this is very awkward to be in this position right now. But the dub... Honestly... That's some A-plus dubbing because I didn't notice. And that means Lazenby sold it. Exactly. I believed everything Lazenby was doing and the only I reason enjoyed that, it. The only reason they dubbed him was probably because he couldn't get that voice perfect. Probably. And if that's the only reason, fine. Sure. I don't care. Do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. That's interesting and a testament to his acting in that sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I got to say, him in the action sequences, when it's actually happening, I'm never going to forget him sliding on the ice, firing a machine gun yeah. at guys. That's one of, hands down, Daniel Craig does some awesome yeah. shit in those movies. Yeah. That's top-notch, top-level Bond action moments for me, I ever. Just, I really like the opening sequence. He runs into the ocean and is beating the shit out of a guy. And I'm just like, okay. Uh-huh. This is happening. And then Great. is grabbing Tracy from the sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I loved it. He is an act first, ask questions later Bond. I'm okay with that. Which is a little different than Sean Connery. Yes. Connery's Bond wanted to feel the situation out, understand his setting mm-hmm. before he jumped in. Yeah. And and struck like a viper when he did. Yeah. But there's a whole lot more build up with Connery. And now the drama. (laughs) I just put Lazenby was a free spirit. There's a whole documentary about this that at some point we have to watch. Yeah, we'll have to watch that. It's a docudrama because they actually... Like reenacted scenes. They reenact a whole bunch of it with actual actors and it's this whole comedy bit. That's great. Which is perfect for his story. Mm -hmm. It's forever going to be an enigma as to what he actually thought about this. It's too isolated being that he only did one. To be fair, there's a lot of reasons why I think it happened. Uh, and they I, talk I about I read a, a lot little bit about that. So, first of all, Broccoli hated how cocky he was. 
Oh, I could see that. And how full of himself he was. They talked about he skied down the slopes on his own time and broke his arm. They delayed filming for weeks. No, oh, no. My understanding was that he wanted to do his own stunts and they didn't want him to. And one of the times he went he went skiing to uh, shoot and he was adamant about doing the stunt and he broke his arm. Which I understand both sides of that. There's a difference when you're Tom Cruise and you have such an established thing True. that you can say, I'm doing my own stunts mm-hmm. partially because I'm funding half this fucking movie. Like that's that's part of the reason why he gets Correct. to do that on Mission Impossible. Well, and, and now at this point, it's part of his contract. So I get to do whatever stunts I want. Yeah. And but Lazenby was... being unknown, yeah. of course. And he... especially if you're going to if you're going to be the guy for the next seven years. Fuck, you know, you play you play. Yes, sir. Uh huh. That's what you do. Especially right now. Yes. First film, you just play. Yes, sir. Uh, also, they mention a moment of arrogance that Lazenby's part that spoiled a cast and crew party. From what I can tell, this seems to be referring to a moment where he got on a horse and started messing around and knocked Bernard Lee M into a fence, cut a gash in his leg. Yeah. Don't fuck with M. That would sell a uh, relationship. I-, I think he was young and brash and of... A little bit of counterculture. I mean, mm-hmm. hearing what he talked about after this movie, mm-hmm. he definitely went into that whole counterculture film vibe. Also, he's a lot younger. Oh, he was 29 when I they know. made this movie. Yeah. He was an he was entirely different generation than everybody else there. He was reckless. Mm-hmm. And I think that graded on people. They say the tabloids were relentless about how awful he was compared to Sean Connery, which I'm like, eh, whatever. The British tabloids are terrible. And then finally... Lazenby has plenty of quotes about being very into the upcoming countercultural cinema movement. Mm -hmm. He was into The Graduate and Easy Rider. And he and his agent both saw what was upcoming in film saying, Bond's going to be obsolete in a year. Yeah. So he he didn't want to be stuck with seven movies. He didn't want to be stuck with seven movies. And he wanted to do movies with, I mean, he he has quotes where he's like, I want to work with Arthur Penn and John Schlesinger and Dennis Hopper. Yeah. I don't want to do something like this. And also it's like, it's all violence, man. Mm -hmm. I want to just, you know, have peace and make just interesting stories in film. I think what it really comes down to is he was kind of an untamed animal that there was no way you were going to be able to rein in. He was the wrong person to try to make a franchise out of. Exactly. Not that he couldn't have done it. No. And he's he's definitely very talented. But his personality. His personality. And I also think that had he been a little bit more mature as a person and an actor, he would have known, you know what? This is a great opportunity, but not for me. Because I don't want to do seven films about a guy who beats people up. He, what he should have done was said, can we make it three movies? Can we, let's do three movies. Oh yeah. That's enough to like make your money, retire on, get you all the other projects you want. Exactly. And still have some canon. Diana Rigg had a perfect quote about him. Oh. Which was, the role made Sean Connery a millionaire. It made Sean Connery. I truly don't know what's happening in George's mind, so I can only speak of my reaction. Mm -hmm. I think it's a pretty foolish move. I think if he can bear to do an apprenticeship, which everybody in this business has to do, has to do, then he should do it quietly and with humility. Everybody has to do it. And that speaks to your point. Yeah. If he could have shut his fucking mouth for three seconds and taken that money. Yeah, just take the money. He could have done all those different movies. Yeah. He really could he have. He could have gotten everything he wanted. 
but he 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 needed to be a little bit mature, a little bit more mature in being like, "Hey, this is a great opportunity. I don't want to pass this up, but I need to I need to not say yes to everything about this opportunity." Well, and then walked in there and said, "Okay, you're going to treat me better and you're going to give me some actual fucking help so that I can do this well for you. Yeah. And if what he says about Peter Hunt not directing him being like, if you want me to do a good job on this movie and to keep doing good jobs on movies, I need your help. You have to direct me and stop isolating me because it's making me crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For a more succinct quote, we get Desmond Llewellyn. I draw veil over the chap. How can you expect someone who's never acted before to take on a leading role? <laughs> Accurate statements. Don't, don't love that. And then I also, I mean, the story of him at the premiere is just kind of insane. He grew his hair out. He oh. grew a beard. And he shows up looking nothing like James Bond. A little more <laughs> Just <laughs> as a fuck you to Albert Broccoli. Well, because he'd already seen at already... that point, they, the press was tanking the movie before it came out. Yeah. So I get that. And I, PR, I, get, I get the fuck you. Well, I do it too. And their PR tanked it as well. Yeah. They explicitly removed any reference to Lazenby in the marketing and just said, it's Bond, it's Bond. Well, they they even said later on, that was a huge mistake. I get the I get that being the first impulse. It's the first impulse, but the problem was, was because of the tabloid response yeah. during the filming, you should have known better to say, no, we stand behind this dude. You had a black hole. Exactly. And it made it look like you knew it was bad, that he was doing a bad job instead of like, no, he's the best thing ever. Not even that. Or just like, it's like, hey, he's new, but he's just as good. Yeah. And that's and and that's where I think mm-hmm. like we talked, we started off this whole thing of like, they didn't believe in it. I don't think it's that they didn't believe in it. It's more not being prepared for it. They didn't know how to handle this. They were not ready for the backlash. I mean, well. And also, they should have known that was going to happen. At, well, other than. At this point, Doctor Who, what example did they have of changing your main character in a big franchise? That there was none. There was none. It's just a thing of you've gotta you've gotta be more flexible to know what's gonna happen when. And then finally Lazenby just has this really great quote. I much prefer being a car salesman to being a stereotype James Bond. My parents think I'm insane, everybody thinks I'm insane, passing up maybe millions of pounds. Nobody believed me. They thought it was a publicity stunt, but it's just me doing my own thing. I have to have respect for the dude for feeling that way. Yeah. I probably wouldn't be in that same position. I like what you said where it's like, let's cut this in half. I can't do this forever, mm-hmm. but I'll do a few movies to get you to the next stage. Yeah. And I'll work with you to do the best job possible. You know what? It's just like Charlie Corsmo doing Can't Hardly Wait. Yep. Hey, you know what? I've been off of this. Let, let, let me come back to this and see if this is what I should be doing. Oh, nope. I'm good. Bye. But this dude was just... Yeah. wild and untamed it was just like fuck it i'm not doing this anymore that's fair and it's like okay i yeah i got no problems with that it's just the impact that it has is yeah. so interesting it is it is we'll Very get that we'll get to that when we get to legacy next up diana rigg <sighs> who is life life she is gorgeous uh, is she the best bond girl we've had up to this point yes i think so yes which is crazy to yes. think about We've had some decent Bond girls. She's good, but she's bad, but she's cool. <laughs> she's just, she's three-dimensional. Uh, she's written three-dimensionally, and Diana Rigg can act. Yeah, and Pussy <laughs> pussy Galore, I think, was three-dimensional, was but only more. on her own volition. She was more three-dimensional, but I give that 
credit more to that actress. Yeah, it's Honor Blackman. Yeah, it's Honor Blackman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As opposed to the writing, Tracy was written that way. We do get some who could have been better. Okay. With three big names here. Bridget Bardot. Okay. Had enough acting experience to pull this off because yes. the biggest reason they went for big names mm-hmm. was they wanted somebody experienced Since opposite match. Lazenby. No, that's the correct, res- that's the right thinking. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, 100%. Jacqueline Bissett. Okay. And Catherine Deneuve. Hmm. She would have been just as amazing, if not a little bit better, because she's a really fucking good actress. No, she is. I. And I, she was just coming off maybe her biggest movie ever, Belle de Jour. Hmm. If I'm going to pick anyone... It's Catherine Deneuve. It's Catherine Deneuve. But I'm probably picking Diana Rick I, over it. Because I she's feel like just she so perfect. So, she's perfectly matched with him. Uh-huh. She, I think she is. I don't know that Catherine Deneuve would have been. She could have been, but I, maybe with a different Bond. Yes. I don't know that it would have worked with Lazenby. Correct. Diana Rigg's perfect with him. And Diana Rigg can work with anybody. She's amazing. Tell Cersei. I want her to know. <laughs> <laughs> She's so good. <sighs> and finally, there's really only one other actor to talk about here. Mm-hmm. Telly Savalas as Blofeld. Reminds me of someone so much and I cannot place it and it's been bugging me. You mean Kojak, the detective? Nope. Because I never saw that. I mean, I'm sure you've seen Telly Savalas sure. in stuff. Sure. Maybe he... it reminds you of Bald Billy Zane? Yes. <laughs> it does remind me of Bald Billy Zane. This is, this is early on in Telly Savalas' career, before he became Kojak and the lollipop and became a mm-hmm. big deal 70s actor. He's just ridiculous. <laughs> he, he is. As Blofield, he is ridiculous. And I kind of love it with him against this Bond, Lazenby. It's, it's, he's comical. He had just come off the Dirty Dozen, in which he plays the psychopath character. Oh. And he plays it really fucking well. Okay. The reason that they brought him in, mm-hmm. or brought anyone in, was because Donald Pleasance wasn't going to be able to pull off the physical stunts and the physical work that Blofeld does in this movie. They didn't think Pleasance could do that, so they didn't bring him back. That's fair. Otherwise, it would have been Donald Pleasance. Well, and like James Bond, Blofeld can change. Maybe. Yeah, he kind of can. I mean, honestly, I would have been fine if Donald Pleasance did it, but I understand that Pleasance wasn't going to be able to do a bobsled scene with certain stunts where he was going to have to be physically active with that. He was an older dude. What I mean is that Blowfield can just be a figurehead for this organization, much like 007 James Bond is a moniker. That's where I'm like, I'm fine with this. So let's talk about music. And first of all, let's talk about this theme. I've had you only live twice stuck in my head for the last two weeks since we watched it. It has been stuck in my head. It's a pretty good song. It's good, but I am annoyed with it right now. I have a different Bond theme stuck in my head, but you're not going to find out about that one until next year. So, okay. What do you think about this theme, though? Eh. Really? 
It's, I mean, it's serviceable. People say this is their favorite Bond theme of all time. I really like the synth. It's good. I really like how they use it. And I like the fact that they use this as the alternate action theme. Yes. For the ski scenes and for the opening itself. I think it plays really well. I actually really dig it. I don't know that there's much to say about it other than, you know, this is the first time we've used synthesizers and electric guitar predominantly in a Bond theme. Well, he's also got his ruffly tuxedo, so I'm okay with that. It's a newer it's a newer Bond. It it's a different flavor on the old style that I just kind of dig. No, it's fine. There's also two other songs, one being Louis Armstrong's final recording. Aww. Uh written by Hal David. We have all the time in the world. We have all the time in the world. Time enough for life to unfold all the precious things love has in store. We have all ties into the end there and then this weird christmas song (laughs) do you know how christmas trees are grown they need sunshine sunshine can't grow christmas trees alone they need raindrops. Raindrops can grow Christmas trees. Here's the reason why. The, oh, yeah, the this, song this, that's this playing in the like, ice rink. This is a Christmas movie. Yeah, this is a Christmas movie, guys. That's the <laughs> other random this part of this. This is a Christmas movie. Wow. So now officially we have to add this to our Christmas canon. I mean, I'm not going to watch it at Christmas, but it is a Christmas movie. We, uh, we can turn it on while we wrap presents and do other things for Christmas. No, we watch Die Hard to wrap presents. <laughs> Or Home Alone. Trivia. 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 The Piz Gloria. The the Revolving restaurant. Yeah. That they're having dinner with the allergy girls. We have one of those here. That was a real restaurant that was under construction when they were about to start (laughs) filming. Oh, God. They paid 125,000 pounds to completely outfit the restaurant and put the helipad on it. Oh, okay. They liked the location and the site and everything in it so much to film there that they said, okay, we'll finance the construction of this so we can have the location. That's fair. And then the restaurant That's actually a pretty sweet gig. I know, right? If everything around this is like, that's that, yeah, that's okay. So they they had to throw in the financing so that they said, okay, well, we'll delay our opening. Yeah. But you guys pay for us to have the restaurant built. <laughs> I, I think that's actually a really awesome deal. I know. It that's, worked that's It worked great. out great for cool. everybody. The Swiss filming went 56 days over schedule, all because of weather. Oh, I believe that. Anytime was, you have to deal with weather. And here's the weird part. It wasn't because blizzards or anything like that. It was because the snowfall was too light. They couldn't get enough snow to do the skiing sequences. So they kept pushing back and pushing back until they could actually do those shots. It's really weird. They were like unseasonably hot at the time and light on snow. The bond sliding along the ice Mm -hmm. spur of the moment idea from Peter Hunt. 
cool. That's a testament to how good he was. Yeah. Because I'm just like, that's one of the greatest Bond scenes I've ever seen. Yeah. That three second sequence that I was, I, I, I just about ran around the room. I got so excited <laughs> by that one. I was no, like, that one was cool. That's great. The ski chases. They're good. They're really good. And the bobsled scenes. I love the bobsled scenes. So they were using pro skiers with handheld cameras and stuntmen Mm -hmm. filming all of that skiing stuff. Yeah. And it makes sense. How are you going to get those shots that they got without having somebody skiing right behind them? So you're dodging. So somebody has to dodge those trees going backwards to film the guys in front of them. Like, that's right. Willie Bogner performs spectacular skiing feats going backwards downhill with a handheld camera and sometimes putting it in between his legs to get the shot. But yeah. Make a harness, people. <laughs> oh, there was a harness, yeah. but not for that. I know. Okay. So Johnny Jordan, a cameraman from You Only Live Twice, rigged up a system to film the aerial sequences. Did he lose his leg like that other dude? He was dangled by an 18-foot parachute <laughs> harness rig under the helicopter oh, God. to shoot any angle on the move. Johnny Jordan is the same guy who had his foot severed by the helicopter <laughs> in You Only Live Twice. It's the same dude. Uh-huh. Another leg? I don't think. <laughs> now, when I read it, when I read it again, I think it was that his foot was severed. It wasn't cut off. I think that was probably I mean, the problem. So he got his foot cut severely and then got it back. I want to meet this man because he seems like the most interesting man in the world, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm crying because this is so funny to me. The bobsledding chase was filmed with the help of Swiss athletes. Cool. Swiss Olympic athletes, some might add. And those crashes Mm -hmm. were actual crashes. They rewrote the sequence to later film Mm -hmm. to incorporate those accidents. Because it looked cool. It looked cool. And also, they couldn't reshoot it. Yeah. So they were like, okay, we got to rework it so we can incorporate that into it. Well, they did a good job with that. The last one. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of problems with audio for this movie. Yes, it's so back and forth. I can tell you why. Why? This was the first Bond movie filmed in stereo. We needed a full speaker system to actually hear this fucking movie. Yeah, we don't have that. After reading that, I was like, I know why we couldn't hear things. Because we weren't in the right channel. That. <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. That's why some things are super fucking loud and some things are very, very quiet. Yep, because this was in stereo. Well, that's obnoxious. Okay, the reception and its legacy. Oh, God. Which gets into us. Yep. Some people think this is a masterpiece. Okay. Including some very prominent film directors. Steven Soderbergh has cited this not necessarily as the best Bond movie, but what he says is, if you're going to watch a Bond movie for anything other than entertainment, this is the one to watch. His feeling is, visually, this is the most interesting Bond film. And other than these new ones that have come out, I can kind of see where he's coming from. Goldfinger's a little interesting, Thunderball's interesting, but they are very plain vanilla. This does a whole bunch of random stuff with the camera that you're not expecting. The slow motion seems laughable, 
but it's laughable with a purpose. You're not ready for it. This one definitely sticks out compared to the other ones. And it goes back to my Prisoner of Azkaban. It marks a tonal shift. Oh, yeah. A shift in in many ways. Uh, And had they kept going with this, I think what Hunt would have done is refine it. And the violence might have gotten amped up even more. That'd be cool. Also, Christopher Nolan cites this as one of his favorite Bond movies and a main inspiration for Inception. I I knew you were going to say that. Because when I was watching this, there were moments where I was like, this feels a little like Inception to me. Yeah. There There are shots and all the snow. I'm like, yeah, this is Inception. A complicated plot with mostly actors... Almost like pawns being moved in a much bigger game that's going on with the director. Oh, yeah, no, I feel all that. Cool. It, it has become in the top pantheon of Bonds over time. There was one survey at one point in a 007 magazine where this got rated above Goldfinger. Hmm. And I wouldn't agree with that, but this is a fan favorite. And it has, over time, after being pretty panned, mostly just out of tabloid news fodder, it's become one of the top 10 Bond movies. So putting yourself on the axis okay. of Lazenby, good or bad, and Bond, good or... And, and movie. OHMSS, good okay. or bad. Ah. Let's rate those separately to okay. plot your graph. Okay. How do you feel about George Lazenby? I'm pro. How many stars are you going to give him? I will give him three stars. Three stars for George Lazenby. Correct. How about you? I'm going to give him three as well. Okay. It'd be easy to give him just like two and a half or two, but the promise and the gleam in his eye is there to think that if he kept going. Because when Sean Connery is his best, I give him a four. Really? When I really like Sean Connery, like Goldfinger, Goldfinger, Sean Connery. I would give him a four for that. Right. And Dr. No would be like a two and a half. But this is a, this is a solid three. I agree. This is a three. Okay. Now the movie. The movie. Okay. I'm going to go with my first instinct. Which is? A four. I'm going to say four Holy as well. <laughs> I Seriously, that was what was in my head. By no means is this perfect. No. It drags. But at every moment where it starts to go, I don't know if I can take this part anymore. All of a sudden, something happens. Here's, here's how I've arrived at that. The story's good. The story's so good. I like the jokes. I like the writing. I like the problem. That we could have had more gadgets. I do really like the scene where he's reviewing all the old gadgets he had in the other films. That's super hilarious. That was one of those wink and a nod that that made me happy because I like the gadgets. But I arrived at the four because it's like, would I have enjoyed this movie if Sean Connery had done it? Yes. Mm-hmm. I would like it, and it would st- I would be different, but I would still like it, I think, as much as I currently do, and so it is a four. My only caveat to that is, would Sean Connery have brought the same gravitas when the stakes got high? And that's, that's a question we would never know. No, but I think, had he been given the opportunity with this director and this script... I think he could have hit this out of the park. I think this could have been as big as Goldfinger for him. There are some big time critics who have said this would have been the defining movie of the franchise if Connery had done it. Goldfinger would have been an afterthought if this was Connery's flagship. Because he'd have have knocked this way out of the park. So, with a sort of anticlimactic ending, maybe like the end of this movie, Mm -hmm. next week, Diamonds Are Forever. Diamonds are forever They are 
all I need to please me They can stimulate and tease me They won't leave in the night I've no fear that they might desert me Diamonds are forever I know what's coming, and I'm bracing. Oh, are you right? I'm going to throw more coosh balls at you. Possibly. Oh. Well, I have two. Maybe I should buy more. <laughs> it might be nice if we could just skip and go straight into Roger Moore, but we got to finish off Sean Connery. Yeah, we got to we gotta finish off Sean Connery. Right. I'm excited. I mean, I I, I am a, a somewhat of a completionist, so. I'm hoping we don't get some, uh, some Thunderball vibes there. Well, well, it's shorter, so hopefully it won't. Feel longer. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Shh. Hey y'all, we saw two movies this weekend. We started with Solo, a Star Wars story. And then Upgrade, not a Star Wars story. Alright, so let's start with Solo. During an adventure into the criminal underworld, Han Solo meets his future co-pilot Chewbacca and encounters Lando Calrissian years before joining the Rebellion. Okay, so as I said on Twitter, I don't really get people being upset with this movie. There are some things I didn't love, but I enjoyed it and I thought it was fun. I think I can understand why people are upset because it's... another prequel and prequels have such a bad connotation in the star wars universe well okay even with rogue one is so beloved that too and iconic and any attachment you have to him if this film ruined that or changed what you loved about han solo i could you would you'll be disappointed and i guess i don't have any of that I love Han Solo. I totally understand why people love him and are attached to him. But for me, it was just like, okay, let's imagine what Han Solo was like before he was Han Solo. It's a super predictable movie. There's nothing too outlandishly crazy with it. Mm -hmm. It's a solid popcorn movie. I think some people were expecting a completely different mind-blowing kind of movie. Mm -hmm. And were expecting the sort of Star Wars level craziness. Which, these side stories are not going to be that. I don't think they're ever intended to be. They can't be. I mean, Rogue One is literally just to connect the dots between one set of films and the other. Rogue One tells an important story that hadn't been told. True. But But it also hopes that it was a complete set of unknown characters. That, and it's also a political film masquerading as an action movie. This is not that. This is just a- This is an origin story for Han Solo. It's Indiana Jones in space. Yeah, but that's awesome. I know. The biggest criticism was Alden Ehrenreich trying to be Harrison Ford. And I don't think he has to be. I don't feel that at all. I don't care that much, but I do understand why people have that problem. I was just having an issue adjusting to him because he looks and sounds so different from the only other film I've seen him in, which is Hail Caesar. Yeah. Which, and he has dark curly hair and he's got a very strong country accent. And so this is just completely different. And this film, he smiles and that one, he does not at all. And my bigger thing is every time he smiles, I'm just like, you're Dennis Quaid. You're Dennis yeah he's got more of a quaid smile than a than a harrison ford smirk but i liked him and he for me just felt like han solo before he went through a lot of shit han solo before he got really cynical 
Yeah, but it's that cynicism is still there. Oh yeah, so it's enjoyable. He's yeah. Uh, shout out to Jonas Suetomo taking over full time for Chewbacca in this movie. Finally, I loved seeing young Chewbacca. He's I, so funny. I loved what they did with him. Well, okay, I have one problem with what they did with him, but I, I'm not going to spoil anything. Okay, but I really liked seeing young Chewbacca. Uh huh. The only weak link for me in this movie is Amelia Clark. And here's the thing. I don't really think that's her fault. That character is not written very well at all. Uh, she's not great, but I also think the way she performed it was horrible. So uh, if we could have replaced her with somebody else, I think we would have gotten a better performance. Sorry. Hmm. I like her, but no. This just wasn't the right feel for her. Correct. And, of course, we we can't go without talking about Donald Glover as Mr. Lando Calrissian. Okay, I... A lot of people are talking about how he's just doing an imitation. So I thought about that more. Mm -hmm. And the highlights of his performance are that he's doing a Billy D. Williams imitation. However, it's an interpretation. And what's smart about it is when he's trying to pretend he's confident, he's in Billy D. mode. Yes. But he drops it when he needs to be vulnerable or actually scared. Yeah. And so he's younger Lando, which is... He's got Billy D. Swagger until the shit hits the fan. Then he's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. What do I do? Well, fuck, oh, fuck. <laughs> and there's nothing more fun than his interaction with Han. Because we get very little. Okay, that's not true. His interaction with, with his droid and navigator is the most fun part of him. Was it L7ET? L337. L337. Okay. She's great. Yes. She is a sassy robot, which we adore. Uh, a sassy feminist robot is that. A sassy feminist <laughs> robot. No, but I just really loved his interaction with Han because we don't get a lot of that in the original series. So I like seeing this whole like, these guys are cut from the same cloth. And oh, yeah. That's why they don't get along. No. And it is fun. They're both rogues. And then, yes, L337 is also amazing. And I really hope to see more of that type of robot in future Star Wars films. Probably not, but we can hope. It's good. Yeah, I don't, it's, it's fine. Don't listen to the critics, but put your expectations at the correct level. Because I think if you're going and expecting mm -hmm. Star Wars adventure, no, it's the not. The Star Wars you have fallen in love with still exists the way it was created. It's like, not just... It's fine. But also, it's not a, it's not a galactic epic adventure movie. It's yep. a rogue thief movie. Yep. All right, now let's talk about Upgrade. Set in the near future, technology controls nearly all aspects of life. But when Gray, a self-identified technophobe, has his world turned upside down, his only hope for revenge is an experimental computer chip implant called STEM. This movie was a lot of fun. It was another great popcorn movie. Very surprising. We were concerned that the trailer, it's got a great trailer. We were really worried that all the good parts were in the trailer. That is not the case. No. This is definitely a thinker film. It's also really fucking gory. It is. It was written and directed by one of the original story writers of Saw. Yes, and actors. It's a very high concept. And with films that are very high concept, sometimes they fall apart at the end. Especially that we're clocking in at an hour and a half running time on this mm -hmm. movie, and they have to rush to wrap it all up. I think if maybe they had an extra 15 to 20 minutes, we could have avoided some of that. Maybe, but also I don't know that they could have done but that I, and gotten away with an R I, rating. I, 
I honestly don't think I can talk anymore about this film without starting to spoil, like, truly spoil things. No. But it is such a fun watch. It's only an hour and a half, so I highly recommend it. And and the only reason I will mention the gore, if you are super bothered by it, it's not for you. It's no. really not. But other than the violence... I don't know that there's that much more objectionable stuff in it. it no, there's no sex in it at all. And, and no problematic sexual issues, which a lot of these horror movies can get into mm-hmm. from time yeah, to time. Yeah, that's not... This much doesn't much. go into that territory. Yeah. So cool. just watch out for, for the gore in it. So Until next time, guys. Bye. That's it for this episode. Please take a moment to review and rate us on iTunes. And for questions and comments, drop us an email at macintoshandmod at gmail.com. Oh my god. I The second you said, is it anything like that other guy? I was like, oh... Oh, just wait. Oh, wow. Same guy. Wow.